0: You're listening to Fueled, a FinstaMaker podcast. And I'm your host, Katherine
1: FinstaMaker.
0: So before we get started, just want to let our audience know a little bit about you. Bradford Millet is a licensed professional land surveyor in the state of Louisiana with a decade of tenure here at FinSTamaker. Bradford's career at FinstaMaker began in 2013 when she joined us as an engineer intern coinciding with her graduation from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, having earned a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. Serving in a dual capacity as both engineer and surveyor, Bradford combines her training in civil engineering with her exceptional proficiency in survey work to engage in cross-disciplinary projects, such as the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, the topic of this season of Fueled, our corporate podcast. As a professional land surveyor and engineer intern at Finstamaker, Bradford is responsible for completing and overseeing all survey-related services for our engineering division and municipal clientele. She specializes in topographic, boundary, construction, and as-built surveys, watershed surveys, project control establishment, along with subdivision, topographic, right-of-way, and servitude plats, LADOTD, right-of-way maps, and ALTA surveys. I find myself wondering what you don't do. (laughs) Throughout her 10-year history with our firm, Bradford has been involved in a broad swath of projects ranging from road construction and water treatment facility design to surveying dredging operations, diversion canals, and channel realignments. Perhaps most relevant to today's conversation surrounding the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, Bradford has been heavily involved in Fenstermaker's efforts toward Calcasieu Parish's regional watershed modeling and planning. In this capacity, she has been responsible for managing survey field crews and processing field data along with supporting documentation related to hydraulic structure analyses, assessing impacts on proposed drainage and improvement activities. Bradford is one of Louisiana's six women, currently licensed and practicing as a professional land surveyor. Her efforts and accomplishments to date make her uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of the work being done for the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, and we're grateful that she has taken the time to speak with us today. So thank you for being here, Bradford.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) That's a list of accolades and accomplishments and workloads. I'll tell you, I'm very impressed. Before we kind of like dive into the questions, for people who are not familiar with the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, just want to give a little bit of background Mm -hmm. and then we'll jump into our questions. Sounds good. For those who aren't familiar, like I said, in August of 2018, Governor Edwards launched the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, a continuation of the planning, coordination, and collaboration across various federal, state, and local agencies in direct response to the historic flooding events in March and August of 2016, events that forced us to rethink how our state approaches floodplain management. Following the launch of LWI in September of 2020, the federal government, through the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, a grant agreement was signed establishing a $1.2 billion line of credit in community development block grant mitigation funds for flood risk reduction priorities throughout Louisiana, providing an unprecedented opportunity to enhance and expedite LWI efforts. So through the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, The Council on Watershed Management established six strategic areas to guide planning, projects, and policies toward long-term flood risk reduction and quality of life improvement across the state. One of which is data, the collection of information for the development of relevant living models of each watershed that can then be leveraged with regard to land use, policy decision making, and project evaluation. Finstamaker Has been tasked by DOTD with performing HUC 8 specific hydrologic and hydraulic modeling relative to region four, a very complex project that entails a significant amount of survey work that I understand you've been managing very well. So the coordination of that survey effort will be the focus of our interview today. Yep, sounds sounds good. Okay, that's a mouthful. There's a lot going on. Before we dive into the details of your specific involvement with LWI, I want our listeners to learn just a bit about your background, how you came into your current role as engineer, intern, and professional land surveyor. And maybe you can speak to your motivations and passions and what drove you to success in these fields.
1: Yes. So first off, thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. I'm excited excited to talk about the Louisiana Watershed Initiative. It's been something we've been working on for, seems like, the past year. Yeah. So back to the question of how I landed in Land Surveying. So I did get a degree in civil engineering. And as part of that, I was able to take electives. And a lot of the electives that I chose were geared towards land surveying and whenever I was involved in that I was really interested in the fact that the land surveyors are really the first feet on the ground before the engineers really get started on the project so it really excited me on the fact that we get to go in there in the front and get this data to the engineers. So as far as that goes, I actually got a summer internship here at Fence to Maker at the Lafayette location whenever I was in college. And the good thing about Fence to Maker was they offer engineering and survey and services. So yeah. I was able to get hands-on experience for real-life projects in both fields. And with that said, I kind of gravitated more towards land surveying. So kind of fast forwarding to today, I'm actually the surveyor for all of our engineering department's projects. Now, as far as what motivates me and my successes and everything, I really feel like that has to do with surrounding yourself by a great team that pushes you and drives you to do best every day. And even that goes for the field crew. So the field crews, you really have to have a, a trust relationship with them, good communication, and they're letting you know what they're seeing in the field and bringing that to you and having that trust and that communication with office and field is really what all comes together. And the success of me, it looks like it's me, but it's really a team effort that's bringing me to the success. So I would say having that great team and all of that success behind it is also what motivates me.
0: That's really nice. I'm glad that you give a nod to your team. One thing that I want to kind of like linger on is you talked about the internship piece. And so just to take for a second to think about maybe students who might be listening who are going through their college program, maybe in an engineering program or in a survey program, Is that something that you would consider a key to kind of really unlocking what your true interest is, is to have an internship and Mm -hmm. get in the field and get your hands in projects?
1: Yes, definitely. Early on, especially when you're still in college, getting out there and getting that field experience and hands-on experience to me is key really for you to even know what direction you want to go in, because I chose civil engineering and land surveying, and we work on roadways and watersheds and that type of work, but you can go into so many different directions. So this might not be for everyone, but if you can get an internship and even do multiple internships throughout college, it'll really let you figure out what direction you'd want to go in.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's good advice. I know that you thrive being involved in challenging work, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, that you appreciate the diversity of the projects that you work on. And as you mentioned, you work on all of engineering's projects, so a vast array, (laughs) and the aggressive deliverable schedules that often accompany our survey and engineering operations. So, can you tell me about your experience so far working on? the Louisiana Watershed Initiative. How is this effort challenging you in new, different, or remarkable ways as compared to other efforts that you've been a part of throughout your career?
1: Specifically with Region 4, the challenges compared to the typical jobs that we work on would be you're dealing with 10 field crews out there who are working every day and Region Four going from all the way north of Toledo Bend to just south of Calcasieu, you have crews spread out all over the place in that area. So making sure they have those resources that they need and dealing with them on a daily basis, coordinating with them. But also a main thing is access. I cannot talk about access issues enough on Region 4. If you look at Region 4 on a map, Probably 80%, if not more, is not developed. It's wooded areas. So trying to have these crews get into those areas was complicated as opposed to if we're working on a typical roadway project or a waterline project. So we're in this consolidated area and they just need to pull over on the side of the road and they can survey this road, which has access all day long. But going into these areas where it's just wooded, it seems like no man has ever stepped foot in some of these areas. It's hard. And when you look at it on an aerial, it's like, oh, there's the coolie right here. Mm-hmm. However, when you're on foot, it doesn't look like that. You can't find it. So really access issues, especially on Region 4, would be the biggest difference and change from our typical and. They did great at it, but it was a lot of communication as far as access goes.
0: Yeah, you know, we recorded another episode for this season of Fueled with Jonathan Bro out in the field. And he talked a lot about some of the private landowners that he's dealt with as far as access and so not just the, the wooded areas, which... I've heard some horror stories about things that they've encountered in those more uninhabited areas. But also the issues with the, the landowners and, and access to their property and kind of some of those, I guess, smaller town vibes where they don't it's know a new person in town. Yes, a new person in town, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they get together at the, the local coffee shop or the local sandwich shop. And then they say, oh, we've got a new guy in town. Lo- make sure you lock
1: your gates and, you know, yeah. things like that. So uh when they he- were driving initially, the gates were unlocked. And then when they would come back to get to some of those, all the gates were now locked. The word was traveling that fence the maker was in town yeah. surveying, which we're surveying for a good cause, but... People are also – they don't know you, so they are going to protect their property.
0: protective of their land, for sure. (laughs) So that's interesting that you bring that up. And then also to say that Jonathan was very complimentary about the support that he got from the office. And I guess so vice versa, of you seeing from the aerials Mm -hmm. something that he's not seeing on foot. And then – the same thing happens in reverse as
1: well. So the well, communication's like really key. That's great. And Jonathan definitely was one of the crews that had some property owner encounters in different situations that we had to go through. You yeah. always have one of those crews that ends up getting
0: the brunt of it. Yeah, they get the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was really fun talking to him. So it's good to hear that from both sides of the coin, field and office, that Y'all were having that collaborative energy is, mm-hmm. is really important to the success of the project. Like we just talked about, you've been overseeing the work of 10 Fence to maker Field crews working this project in Region 4. And just for our audience so that they know, this includes parts of DeSoto, Sabine, Vernon, Rapides, Beauregard, Allen, Calcasieu, Jefferson Davis, and Cameron Parishes. So you're responsible for executing on the survey plan that was developed in conjunction with DOTD for the Whiskey Chitto Toledo Bend Reservoir, Lower Sabine, and Upper Lower and West Fort Calcasieu Watershed. Has the vast spans of just sheer land coverage, and I know you kind of touched on this, has it been overwhelming at all? Or do you see it as more of a welcome challenge?
1: Initially, just looking at it strictly on an aerial, Mm -hmm. it was going to be a challenge. And How are we going to do this and tackle this? And Really, what we needed to do was prepare for it because our crews were gonna be tackling around eight thousand square miles of territory. In a lot a short amount of time. So we were gonna have a lot of crews on this in order to meet that deadline. And it was really how are we gonna do this? So mm-hmm. what we had to do was come up with a plan, prepare, meet with our crews, ahead of time, prepare them for it, do everything we could do initially. I know you can't prepare for everything you're going to encounter, and there were some things that we did not think we would ever encounter. But once they got into the rhythm of it, and Office also got into the rhythm of it on their side, it really became a welcome challenge because we were doing the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. You're getting the same information every day. Of course, you have your obstacles and everything, but that's with every project. Right. So as much as it seemed like it was going to be a challenge in the beginning, everybody worked together, pulled together, and we had a great team. So it really worked out well.
0: Yeah, so that sounds great. It was a welcome challenge. Okay. I think that's the better perspective on it for sure. I can definitely imagine looking at that broad area and just being a little shocked at first. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying it was kind of all hands on deck and what can we do? Who can we pull in? And what team can we put together? Right. And-,
1: and now remember, Region 4 had, within the past recent years, two major hurricanes go through that exact path. So, you're also thinking, well, you have a lot of forest and you can imagine there's trees down everywhere. Yeah. You really didn't know what you were getting into until you got there. So, all you can do is kind of prepare for the worst. Yeah. That's true. Situation.
0: That's true. And they've done a phenomenal job kind of taking on some of the worst too. They have. Yeah. That's awesome. We got to give kudos where kudos are due for sure. So with regard to the specifics of the survey plan for Region 4 of the Louisiana Watershed Initiative, your field crews are collecting both topographic and bathymetric surveys, cross-section information, along with hydraulic structure data. So can you talk a little more deeply about these different data sets? What exactly are we doing out in the field, and what information are we collecting?
1: You have your topographic and your bathymetric survey that you just mentioned, and Your bathymetric survey is basically where you're getting water depth of a Mm -hmm. waterway and anything surface features underneath that waterway is what bathymetric would be considered. Topographic is more of your land features, getting the shapes and elevations of land features. So for bathymetric, what we're talking about is waterway, what we call a cross section, and okay. essentially what that is, is a profile view of the waterway at a specific location. And that mm-hmm. specific location is given to us by the modeler. So the idea is the modeler would really like a cross section at this location in the channel. Okay. So that would be going from about like your top bank of your channel coming down your slope, getting shots, getting your water bottom, your center line, going back up your slope, getting the top ink on the other side. And then you get some shots outside of that top ink, maybe 10 or 20 feet out so that they can get a nice profile of what the channel is doing in that area. Now for topographic surveys, we're also getting the hydraulic structures, which are considered any bridge or culvert crossing these specific waterways that they're modeling.
0: Okay. So that might contribute to like water flow
1: or like restricting water flow. If you have a culvert, what shape is that, what size is that, how much flow can get through that. Okay. So we're getting, again, the modelers give us, I need this bridge, I need this culvert. They're not going to get every bridge and culvert in the entire parishes that you listed because you have to kind of pick and choose how many do you need for modeling. So what we're getting is like on a culvert, you would get the size, Mm -hmm. the material of it, what the invert or the flow line of that culvert is. And then on a bridge, you will get things like the guardrail. What's the height of the guardrail? What's the lowest point on that bridge structure? And then as well as that topo survey, you're getting a cross-section upstream and downstream of every hydraulic structure. Wow. So it's a lot. And then some of the areas... You may not be able to, just like we were talking about access, mm-hmm. they may need a cross section at a specific location, but there's no way to get to that location. So what we've done is we've worked with the engineering group on, okay, if we can't get to that area, can we adjust it so many feet to a point where we can get it? And if okay. we can't, then we get it where, where we can while we're in the area. And usually that works for the engineering team. Like, look, that's the closest you can get. That'll do for us in that area. So all in all, that's how it all comes together for the culverts, bridges and cross sections of the channels.
0: And we actually cut a cross section with Jonathan and his crew. So that was my first experience with it. I had heard it before and I had seen the output on a map, but Mm -hmm. I had never known. And so Watching, I think it was Chase, Mm -hmm. wade into the water, getting in there and dropping the survey rod. And uh, that was just really interesting for me. And I guess a realization of the intricacy of the work that they're doing out there Mm -hmm. and looking at some of those technologies was really interesting. I think your position almost as like a mediator or like a translator, understanding from your civil engineering background Mm -hmm. the work that these H&H modelers are doing, and then also having an understanding of the field and the survey work that's being performed. I think that's really like you're the perfect liaison almost to communicate and, and be an advocate for what the engineers need. And then on the other side, to be an advocate for what the survey crews need, which is really, I don't know if you ever think about that, but it might be a unique role to play or like a, a unique perspective that you have that allows you to serve in the capacity that you do so effectively.
1: It is, and we've actually almost trained our crews to have that mindset when they're in the field. So in the beginning, when they would call us with questions about, okay, what exactly do you need on this bridge or what do you need at this culvert? Mm -hmm. So we would tell them, okay, if you were a drop of water and you were standing in that coulee and you had a flooding event, what type of information would basically stop that water? What would you want to know? So having them think of that, they've really been able to understand. And they are like, they'll give us extra information that we wouldn't have even thought of to get. But like, if there's blockage out there, well, we don't know that because we're not out there, but they're out there and they're thinking, oh, I think they would want to know that there's blockage covering this area for access into that culvert. So they've really become very familiar with watershed surveys. It's not like a I'm going to design a road survey. You really mm-hmm. have to have a different mindset for this. That's really neat.
0: And I'll bet they appreciate kind of the project differentiation as well out there. Maybe something a little different, mm-hmm. something new for them. Yes. So a good challenge on both ends. The survey plan references the use of alternative survey methodologies in addition to the more traditional or ground-based methods. These include single beam sonar and laser scanning technologies. So can you talk about instances where these additional or we can call them supplemental technologies are warranted and how you've been able to collaborate with and leverage our advanced technologies group for that survey support?
1: Advanced technologies with them providing laser scanning and single or multi beam, the way we approached it was we had our crews go out with the initial Points, desired mm-hmm. points that we would like them to get, and they're gonna try to approach it and get it with traditional methods. However, if they get to a point where, let's say, for a waterway, it's deeper than fifteen feet, then in that case, they would let us know, and we would add it to what we call is our AT single beam list. Okay, and we would have the guys go out once we had enough points to send them out there and get these particular areas for single mean. We use this a lot in like the Calcashoot River. Okay. So as far as laser scanning, we took the same approach. The crews would go out to the structure that we needed. Mm-hmm. If they went out there and it was a situation where if it was a super complicated bridge or a very long bridge, a high-trafficked bridge or... A an area with really no shoulder for them to safely get the data that we need completed in, then instead of risking their safety, we would add it to a list and the laser scanner was brought out and we would scan a side profile of that bridge. It's outside of the roadway, so it's not near the roadway. You're almost looking back at the bridge from like the Coulee and you're getting a scan. And what we do is we take that data and we bring it in and we extract the points we need in the office like we would be a survey crew in the field. Okay. So that way, their safety is not at risk. And they went out there, they tried. It would kind of be used on like an I-10 busy highway bridge yeah. for those cases. In the bridges that were super long, it would be, yeah, the crew could survey at traditional means, but... Is it going to take them an entire day to get all the features we need and it's not worth that time? Mm -hmm. As opposed to we could scan it and get the features quickly in the office. So we used it for that. Now, we also use advanced technologies, not necessarily for survey data like those two instances, but for the drone. We would use Joe Broussard, Mm -hmm. who's actually the field coordinator for Region 4, who did a phenomenal job. He is also a drone pilot. So if the crews were having issues, they really can't even find where the coolie is because there's trees down everywhere from those hurricanes. It's highly wooded. You really don't even know what direction to go into to find this coolie. So he would go out there, fly a problemed area, and they would look to see if they could find a trail
0: and then get to that
1: coolie and get a cross section where they could. So it wasn't survey data we were capturing with the drone, but it was helping us figure out like a plan of attack on how we're going to get out there. So we actually used advanced technologies for all three of those instances. That's really neat.
0: Yeah. So on uh, traditional engineering projects, do you encounter needs for our AT group? Or is this like a more robust usage of Mm -hmm. their skill set in a way that maybe you hadn't collaborated before? Or... Have you learned some things with their capabilities that maybe you consider bringing on to other engineering projects that you're working? I would say in the
1: last two years, we've been working more and more together and incorporating that into our everyday projects. It really just depends on the scope of the project you're dealing with. If it's a really small project, sometimes it's not worth bringing them out there. But if it's a intersection like ambassador And Kali Saloon, we don't want to have a crew out in the middle of the intersection. So we had actually gone out there with mobile LIDAR. So it really is a case-by-case basis. But in the last two years, we've really been working more and more together.
0: That's neat. That's good to hear as well with our one company mindset and core value that we're growing more and more into Mm -hmm. that. And it seems like organically that it's just growing in that direction that our Different disciplines are finding needs and use cases to leverage one another's talents and and expertise, which is neat. We are. That's awesome. Okay, we've touched on this, that we're amassing an incredible amount of data across nine parishes that comprise Region 4. I imagine processing all of this would be like drinking from a fire hose without an efficient and effective workflow. So what does that workflow look like? What are the gears that make this massive data processing operation turn in terms of team communications, software, and technologies?
1: That's a big question. (laughs) Yes, it is. There is a lot of data coming through with 10 crews every day. Wake up in the morning, we get to work, and we've got ten crews worth of data coming in. But at the same time, we're doing region four. We're Mm -hmm. also working on regions five and six. So We have that data coming in as well. But the plan of attack, we really have a great team in the office and they're very effective. Mm -hmm. They know their step that they need to do. So what happens is we get that data and step one is we have somebody that's processing the data, reviewing the control, getting with me if there's any issues on that. And then it goes to step two, which is having somebody bring in that data reviewing it and using the information we have at our hands to check it making sure it's all making sense once it leaves that person it then goes to step three which is a quality control they're also reviewing any questions that step two had and at that time they're also deciding if there's punch list items that we need to send back to the crew before they get too far away from that structure or that cross-section because they're covering a lot of territory, so we want to review it, have all kind of questions addressed before they're traveling all the way down south to Calcasieu if they're in Toledo Bend. So with that, once we get the punch list stuff, it goes through the same steps again, and then it's a deliverable that's sent to the client. Okay. Now, something different we did on this project was we use RGIS Survey 123, and we made this essentially a checklist. And if you're at a structure, you pull up your app, you say, I'm at a structure, I'm at a culvert or a bridge. And then it tells you all the things it needs. You take pictures of it and it's submitted to us live. So we get it immediately. So when we're reviewing that data, we're seeing all that info, all those pictures. So we're able to really thoroughly check it and then send comments to them. And another thing is they can take pictures to us and say, I'm at a problem area right here. Can you open the map and look at this photo I just submitted. And I can look at the photo and see where they are and try to help them through the situation. So really, it hasn't been so much out of a fire hose, maybe, I guess, out of a garden hose, you could say. As long as nobody's taking like two weeks of vacation, we're definitely, (laughs) we have it under control. But it takes a team and we have 10 people in the office who are actually working every single day getting this data in and getting it to the client. Yeah. In this case, our client is our engineering department.
0: Yeah, that's really neat. Gosh, that real-time aspect of it is so exciting, right? It
1: is. Before, it would be writing on a paper. And whenever the crews make it back into Lafayette, give us those papers. And then sometimes we had questions on it. But this is actually live. You can see it on a map address questions, it really has been a tremendous help.
0: I know there's a lot of professionals, you know, maybe currently practicing who have held maybe some type of aversion to technology mm-hmm. and adopting newer technologies. And so I also I kind of sense that you're the opposite of that, where if there's a technology that's going to bring in increased efficiency, you're on it. You're going to learn it. You want to use it.
1: We're going to try it out. They don't always work, but we're going to try it out and see if it can work. And we did test it out on Mm -hmm. smaller projects before, knowing that LWI was coming and we Mm -hmm. wanted to use it on it. We did some testing and it worked very well. So we put it into action. Very cool.
0: Yeah, I guess technology, not always just for technology's sake, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes it can be a total flop, but it's always good to try it, like you said. Yes,
1: it can, which is why we wanted to test it out first (laughs) before you
0: bit off of that big piece. So beyond our work as lead consultant on Region 4, we've been collaborating with engineering firms HDR, lead for Region 5, And Michael Baker, lead for Region 6, in a subconsultancy capacity. So I find it a really interesting aspect of the Louisiana Watershed Initiative that so many firms are engaged in this extensive, intricate, highly technical, collaborative exercise so here you are, you're seeing the ongoing efforts from many different angles, and it feels to me like we're all kind of creating pieces of a massive patchwork quilt that will eventually be sewn together at a statewide level, which is obviously very fascinating. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on how
1: this is all playing out? First off, I think it was it was a great opportunity we had to not only work on Region 4, but also work on two other regions with to other firms. So you could see how they're working, how we are similar and getting everything done for a good part of the state. I think it's great how we have everybody broken up into different regions, joining in on all of this and really giving us, at the end of the day, it's going to be one great product that's going to help us in the future to mitigate any flooding events, or how catastrophic they are. So being born and raised in Louisiana and seeing all of this come together and being involved in this, it really is a personal thing because our kids and our grandkids are going to benefit from all of this in years to come. So being a big part of this and working on three different teams as the surveyor, I think it's an awesome thing. And I'm really happy to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, it kind of makes me misty-eyed thinking about future (laughs) generations benefiting from this work. Honestly, it's, you know, in talking with Austin through some of this project and the efforts that are underway, and he was talking about the collaborative spirit between what in other instances or sometimes firms are competing with one another for work and can be sort of almost that, that competition can generate sort of an adversarial atmosphere around it. But he said for this project, everyone's come together, been sharing how effective processes are working within their teams, sharing expertise, sharing knowledge, which is really beautiful considering again, that everything's going to be patched together at the end and needs to be homogenous in a sense. And we're all working for the greater good, all on the same
1: side. We're all working together and we're talking, hey, what are you doing for this? And Trying to make sure that we're doing it as best as possible with the best methods that we have. Mm-hmm. So everyone's really working together.
0: Yeah. And like learning back and forth, probably from maybe some of these firms are larger, mm-hmm. maybe some smaller. And so our team might be gleaning gleaning lessons from, you know, a bigger firm and then vice versa. We might be passing knowledge off to maybe a smaller firm who isn't as experienced and I just think that's really neat you know it kind of takes that it's kind of like an equalizer mm-hmm. to to all be on the same side of something yes which definitely. is really cool it is i'm proud of y'all <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you specifically just it's so it's super fascinating all of the moving parts and and what you have going on and and what you and your team have been able to accomplish so speaking about team Tell me what you value most about the teams that you're working with while conducting these survey efforts. What lessons have you learned from a project management standpoint? What takeaways are you going to carry with you? And what advice would you give to anyone who aspires to lead and serve in projects and operations of this magnitude?
1: And there's a lot of questions. It's so you can, a lot of questions. Yes. Yeah, start with your, your team. Yeah. So value, I have to bring it back to... The team and the field crews, they are committed to getting us a quality product and also doing it in a safe manner. They have been exposed to so many elements. I mean, we're in Louisiana, so we can have four different seasons just in one day. (laughs) And it's just been crazy what they have gone through. Like we mentioned, the hurricanes have come through these areas. So you can't walk in a straight line and get to your coolie. You're having to snake around trees that have fallen down. Where there are actually snakes. Where there are actually snakes. (laughs) And the heat index this summer, when we were in the prime time of surveying, was crazy. It was just terrible out there. These guys have really dealt with some elements, and they've done a great job. Now, And I know I mentioned Joe Broussard earlier, He was coordinating with field crews. Anytime you would walk in his office, he would have on one of his computer screens the weather radar. Mm -hmm. So these guys are in the middle of the woods. They can't really see what's going on around them. So if there was a storm getting ready to pop up out there, he would give them a call. Hey, in about 30 minutes, you're going to have a storm that's going to come. You might want to start making your way out of the woods and get to your truck just to kind of let them know so they weren't stuck out there in Lightning and storm. So it's just like how everybody really values each other and cares about each other. And at the end of the day, making sure everybody's safe. Yeah. So that's my biggest thing that I valued with this whole project and really got to see how much everybody worked together. And cared for each other. And cared for each other. Yeah. Because every day was a different challenge.
0: Yeah. So moving on to kind of the project management takeaways, what um, what have you learned from a project management standpoint?
1: Yeah. So this one was definitely a project that you had to take one piece at a time, one mm-hmm. day at a time. When your phone rang each day, you didn't know what was going on. You would almost have to take a deep breath before you answered it because you didn't know what was going to be something that they encountered on the other end whenever they were surveying. But taking it one day at a time, one piece at a time, and mm-hmm. making sure we prepared well for what we could prepare for is my biggest takeaway on a project management standpoint. Okay?
0: And for anybody coming up in the in the workforce and they want to be able to take on projects like this, like what are the skill sets that they should be working through or valuing in their own career if they're trying to advance to this this place where you've gotten from a project coordination standpoint?
1: I would say that, and this is really any project that you would deal with, small or large, you just kind of want to prepare, plan, and have a great team around you. Because at the end of the day, you can't do it on your own and you need to trust the people that you're working with. And having that team and preparing as best as you can Mm-hmm. For what you're gonna encounter, and having protocols on if I do encounter this, what do I need to do? I think that goes for just any project. Yeah.
0: Well, you got a lot of what do they say, plates in the air? You know. <laughs> yeah. And so preparation definitely sounds like key. That's excellent that you've been able to to wrangle such a such a complex operation and bring it. I'm not sure where y'all are in relation to the finish line, but
1: it seems like y'all are getting pretty close with Region 4. We're pretty much done with Region 4 and Region 6, and then Region 5, where we'll be done in the next probably month and a half. That's excellent. And so the time schedule is phenomenal as well. Yeah, it definitely is. There were times where it we were in crunch time, but mm-hmm. everybody pulled together and did it. So we arrived at our closing question. You made it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I ask all of our guests in the spirit of fuels our podcast name. So please tell us what fuels you in general, in life, career, work, family. What drives you?
1: What drives me would be definitely my family. I'm a mom. I have two boys. And I'm here five days a week, majority of the day. But when you go home, you're going home to your family. And when my boys get older, I want them to look back and see, what did mom do? What did mom push herself to do? Because it wasn't easy. It was hard at times. But I want them to be able to look back and know that they can do even better than what I did.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I read an article the other day, and it was talking about, I guess, moms in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And just bringing a perspective, how some people say, oh, it must be so hard, you know, bringing your kids to daycare and, you know, creating that separation. But then also thinking about the benefits of that, just like you're saying, like you're exercising what you've worked for essentially through mm-hmm. your education and you're flexing those muscles, so to speak, and creating difference in the community, in local infrastructure, and all of that. So when you say that your boys will have basically a portfolio of all of these things that you've accomplished and then have that as a springboard to Mm -hmm. imagine themselves in ways
1: similar and different. Yes, and what they can do whenever. It's their time to decide what they want to do
0: in life. Well, that's really great. It's been a pleasure talking with you, getting to know you professionally and just a a little bit personally. And (laughs) so thank you for spending time with us, Bradford.
1: Thank you for having me.